0: Father, we come before you and we know the wisdom of God in Jesus and simple, profound stories that he tells, what we call parables, have such deep meaning for us. And I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts over the next three weeks as we consider in depth what this story is, is all about and what it can mean to us. Let our lives be transformed by the grace, by the love of God, Lord. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, there's no sermon, actually. I'm just going to tell you four stories, seriously. Just four stories. And I hope that it will just touch your hearts. Uh, And that's what Jesus did. I'm going to add one more. I'm going to add a music video as well at the end, and that will be the end of the service. Is that okay with you? No sermon, okay? just reflection as you listen to the four stories reflect place yourself in a story Uh, no application to today's talk or storytelling just appreciation appreciation for what you hear and what it means to your heart so is that okay Uh, don't complain after that please don't send me emails about how come no sermon today Well, the first story was told by Jesus. It's recorded for us in Luke 15 and uh, Dr. Raj read it for us this morning at the pre-service prayer. I'm not going to read, I'm not even going to read that, okay? Um, Actually, Jesus told three stories and we're just going to be looking at the third story in Luke 15. How did it happen? Uh, Okay, go to the next slide, please. It happened in Luke 15, verse 1, where the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So bear in mind that in this setting, there are two categories of people in the audience for Jesus' three stories. See which one you are. Then Jesus told the parable, or the first story, which is the story of the lost sheep, where the shepherd left the 99, under somebody's care, I assume, went out searching for the one lost sheep. And then he told the story of the lost coin and what rejoicing there was when that lost coin was found. And then he came to the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, now the lost son or the lost sons or what we call the prodigal son. And so today we look at Jesus' third story, which is my first story. Ready for story number one? Okay, it's a four-act story. Act one, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So the father, so he divided his property between them. You know, you can sort of imagine the young son saying this, hey, Lao Tzu, hey, old man, I'm so sick and tired of this ulu place, this backward place that we are living in. Let me now sell you this very new, latest financial derivative. It's called CFD. For those of you in finance, you will know what CFD is, right? Anybody knows? I think it's contract for difference. But this is not CFD. This is contract for difference. Forward death. Contract for forward death. And it's very simple, daddy. You just die. You die forward. And then I get the inheritance. You understand? You die forward. There's a contract for forward death. And one-third, since I'm the second son, two-thirds go to your older boy, one-third comes to me. You still have two-thirds, although you die forward. Elder brother will will take care of you and I will take one-third of what you sold, and I'm going to invest and lead a great life away from this backward place. And on the sidelines, the villagers were, were asking, what kind of a son is this? What kind of a son is this? And when the father agreed to buy this CFD, the villagers were then asking, what kind of a father is this? What kind of a father is this? And I want you to note the word for property you see here. So he divided his property between the two of them. In Greek, this word is bios, B-I-O-S. Bios as in biology, as in life. So he divided his life, he gave up his life so that the son will have the freedom to do with this property. You can see the same word in Luke 8. Verse 14, it says, this is the story of Jesus talking about the seed that fell among thorns. stands for those who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by bios' worries. They are choked by life's worries. That's where the word bios comes from. And then again, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of bios, the pride of life is not of the father, but it's of the world. That same word. So when a when son asked for property, he was asking for life. He was taking the father's life. And in the ancient world, your property isn't measured so much by gold or silver, because in the ancient days, there, there weren't so much to, to, to begin with. But it is measured by property. Your wealth is measured by the acres of land that you have and it refers to your life. And this is captured very well in this American musical called Oklahoma. I don't know if anyone seen this musical, Oklahoma. It's kind of before my time, but still ongoing. And this musical is set in the frontiers of America at the turn of the century where cattlemen and farmers were fighting over land. And the, the fences that you put up and the water holes, the wells, and the water rights, they were fighting over land, which was life. Let me show you this. uh... Sound, please. You recognize the handsome man? You don't recognize him. He's Wolverine. Wolverine. You know X-Men? Yeah, that's Hugh Jackman. And apparently he does musicals as well. I don't know. Some people have got so many gifts. You may have missed the wordings uh, just now, but let me show you the chorus. We know we belong to the land. And the land we belong to is grand. Is that a grammatical error? We belong to the land. And that's what it means, it's life. And not so much as the land belongs to us, we belong to the land. It tells you that, that land and life is inextricable in the days of an agricultural society. That's wealth, that's property, that's life. And our life is in the land, is our bios. So when the son asks the father for property, for his inheritance, to convert it to cash before the father dies, He was saying to the father, I want your life. I want your bios. You go and die. That's what it means. Well, no law was broken. If you examine Old Testament, there's no law broken in the son asking for such a thing. Because eventually it belongs to the son anyway, when the father dies. And whether or not he sells the land, then it's up to the son. But by asking the, the property, to be converted to cash before the father dies is basically asking the father to die. I want your life. And so no laws were broken, but a relationship was broken. But the father gave. God gave, and God is personified in the father. God gave. If you remember Romans chapter 1, God gave several things as well. Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart. God gave. Romans chapter 1, verse 26, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. God gave. Romans chapter 1, verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what not, not to be done. So God gave. So what did God give? God gave freedom. Freedom. Free will. The right to choose how you want to live your own life. And God gave, even though it was at great pain to himself, even though it was at the expense of his life. So we come to Act 2, Scene 1, this is Luke 15, verse 13, and not long not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So allow me some license in this story, okay? I think what the the, the first thing that the son did was to go and buy a Ferrari, which he promptly crashed when he ran a red light. And then he invested in gold at 20% above the prevailing price with a company that he thought was from Switzerland. Because there was guaranteed returns and guaranteed buybacks that were supposed to give an effective interest rate of 24% when the prevailing interest deposit rate was 0.11%. So sure deal. And then came the recession. Then came a financial famine. And it all came crashing down. Cars, cash, everything. And so he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomachs with the pots that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. So he squandered his money. He lived with pigs. And for a Jew, you cannot imagine anything worse. I think even for us, we can and we us pig eaters, us pork knuckle lovers, us bakote lovers, you cannot imagine anything worse than living with pigs. He did. But for the Singaporean, what is the equivalent of living with pigs? Let me suggest an example for you. Is it's the person who can drive a car with many doors, like this. I guess most of us are too young, too young to remember such a thing, okay? This is what is called a night soil worker, okay? In the days where they collect your, what is that now? Your your waste, your discharges in buckets, and then they pour the buckets into this truck with many doors. It's the smelliest job ever. And as a good Cantonese, when you read this story, I know you're so familiar with this story of the prodigal son, right? You say, You know, I cannot even pr- translate this word. It's like, You've got what's coming to you, something like that. Serve you right. Serve you right. That you lousy son, and you hurt your father, and you go and squander all your money. Now you've got to be a night nice soil worker and carry human waste in buckets that splatter all across your legs you've got what's coming to you. That would be the story. And the scene 2 that comes from this, Act 2, scene 2, when this son came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. And this is where I believe the son's brain went into overdrive. He's had a lot of time in the stinking pigsty, thinking and scheming. How am I going to get back what I lost? I need to return to the old man. I need to rinse my mouth with oil. And again, I'm very Cantonese this morning, okay? Uh, Okay, I rinse my mouth with oil. You know why? So that my words will come out smooth. Right? And anyway, this, this father of mine, he's got a very stern face, but I know his heart. His heart is soft like jelly. I'm going to cry some crocodile tears. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And I know it's always granted. After all, I have completed so many cycles of SCT. You know what's SCT? Sin, confess, try harder. Sin, confess, try harder. Sin, confess, right? It's like ICT, you know, okay, if you don't get it. I'm going to go to him and like a good Cantonese boy, I'm going to jam cha cho <laughs> I'm going to serve tea, kneel down before him and ask for forgiveness. And I will say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Not so difficult to say. Not so difficult to say. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Even Pharaoh, king of Egypt, many, many years ago, said the same thing. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 16, you remember that there were eight plagues while Moses was asking Pharaoh to release the Israelites from slavery. And after the eighth plague, Moses summoned uh, sorry, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron to him, and he said, in Exodus chapter 10, verse 16, "I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you." And he promptly did the same thing all over again. Sin, confess, try harder. as soon as Moses prayed to God that the eighth plague of locusts was stopped, Moses, uh, a pharaoh went back to his old ways and there had to be a ninth plague and a tenth plague before the Israelites were set free. So it wasn't a genuine repentance. You can say all you want. I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. But there wasn't genuine repentance we can see in Moses. And I'm going to make a case that in this prodigal son, the repentance was not yet genuine. It's called working the system. You know the system. Sin, confess, try harder. Sin, confess, try harder. uh, A pharaoh knew the system. You tell Moses, he will stop the plague. And then I'll keep them longer. Thinking that it will be the last plague, but there was a ninth and there was a tenth. It's called, I know my father's soft spot. That he's always so gracious, he will forgive me. But did you know that in that time, it was a shame-based culture that he was living in? When he had to go back to the village, he wasn't just contending with the father, he was also contending with the elder brother and all the villages around him. So, question. How do I recover my wealth and my honour without sacrificing my pride? And he found a solution. The solution was this. Solution you can read in verse 19 of Luke 15. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Make me like one of your hired men. And the Greek word there is mythios, mythios. Okay, let me tell you that there are three Greek words for servant. Okay, the first one is doulos. I think many of us know this word doulos. There is this ship. From O.M. Uh, 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 plying the seas, Christian ship called Doulos. It means slave. If you read Romans chapter six verse twenty-two, it says, "But now that you have set me free from sin, and have become slaves to God, you are a slave to God. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to be a slave to God. That's one word for." Servants or slaves. The second one is diakonos. And you know that word means deacons, diaconate. We are all servants. And you can find that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. I became a diakonos to, of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So you can have, be a slave to God. You can be a deacon, a servant, or another translation is a minister to God. And then comes this third word, which only occurs in Luke chapter 15. Nowhere else in the Bible. mystios. It means a hired hand. What is a hired hand? The root word for this Greek mythios is reward. It's reward. It comes from this word, wages reward. And a mistheos, a hired hand, is an independent craftsman. An independent craftsman, who you remember the younger son, had food to spare. A slave doesn't have food to spare. A servant lives in the master's household unless they can raid the fridge. And they don't have a fridge in those days. There is no food to spare. You have enough meal for the day. But a hired hand had food to spare. It means that he sells his labor, the master pays the wages, and there is surplus. So he's like middle class of those days. He's middle class. And so he said to the father, make me like one of your hired hands. He's telling the father, train me. Train me to be middle class. Give me a skill so that I can earn everything back and I can buy back my wealth and buy back my honour without sacrificing my pride. Straight away, make me middle class. So theologically, you can be a doulos to God. You can be a slave to God. Or you can be a diakonos, you can be a minister, a servant to God. But you cannot be a mystios to God. You cannot be a hired hand to God. Because you cannot earn it. And that's what the younger son wanted to do. He wanted to earn everything back. Earn everything back. And I think many of us might have misinterpreted this story that repentance occurred at verse 20 when he said, I have sinned against heaven and against you, my father, that that was a point of repentance. We can argue that that was not the point of repentance. He had not reached the point of repentance yet. Everything was still scheming in his mind that I can do better, I can do better. He had a scheme. He was full of himself. Then we come to Act 3. If you're old enough to come from a very traditional Chinese family, or at least you have watched enough period dramas, you will know that when a son comes and some cha ying cho, kneels down and offers tea as an act of repentance, the father will slap him in front of all the villagers. That's what fathers do. You have to. In that shame-based culture, you cannot say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, forget about it. You cannot. The culture demands that you must punish the son, and then the father's face will be maintained before the villagers. There's another term in Cantonese called ka-fa, right? The law of the family demands that you do that. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. The father forgave. The father forgave the son. And after slapping, the father forgives the son, and then you have the la and all the chang-chang, chang-chang will go on and, and the whole family is reunited in peace. Huh? This word is like the peace in the family and whatever, like 10,000 things will lead to, lead to whatever joy and happiness and they live happily ever after. But this wasn't what happened in Jesus' story. That wasn't what happened. Kneel down, apologise, slap face, everything is okay. It's not like that. It was not like that. What happened? In verse 20, so the son got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. While he was a long way off, the father runs. How many of you have heard this sermon before and why the father runs and it's not a thing for uh, 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 Israel? I think many of you have Dignified... Patriarchs of the family in Jewish culture do not run. They walk in a dignified manner because when they run, they have to pull up their ropes, tuck it under the belt, and expose their either very hairy black legs or very uh, uh, white chicken legs. Uh, Those embarrassing legs with white, very fair no-hair type. That's what they need to do and and they don't do that. I remember in August we had a diakonate retreat somewhere out in Passeris, and I wore shorts at the retreat. And uh, maybe I shouldn't embarrass the man who's sitting there. He said, "Go fine. I've never seen you in shorts. I've never seen your legs." <laughs> so what so, was wow, so embarrassing is not because it's so like white and a little bit hairless. But the things I do for PPH. Huh? But the father wanted to reach the son. He had to run. He wanted to reach the son before the son reached the village. Because he doesn't want the son to be dishonoured. And so he ran. He subjected himself to the shame of scrawny, white, hairless legs or super hairy legs or whatever. And he ran. And I'm sure the servants ran with him and some of the villagers ran with him also. What's the difference? If you look at verse 19 and you look at verse 20, what's the difference between these two speeches of the younger son? The difference is he did not say, make me one of your hired servants. He intended to say it. He rehearsed it enough for it to be recorded. But he did not say it. Why? Why? And I believe that was the point of repentance. That was the point of repentance. When he saw his father tuck his ropes under his belt and I don't know, maybe the father had knees or whatever, hobbling, running out to him. Before he could open his mouth, the father went to hug him and kissed him in spite of his smell. He was overwhelmed by the father's love, by the father's initiative, by the father's indignity. And then he saw his own sin and then He saw his own unworthiness and there were no more bright schemes or clever talk. And the father in verse 22 says, Quick, bring the best rope and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. What would you have done? What would any of the villagers have done? This guy comes smelling like a dirty pig. I would have brought our garden hose along and sprayed him and then put soap and perfume on him get this pig smell out of this guy before he enters the village. Oh my hawk. Get it? Oh my god. Oh my hawk. Anyway, now before the villagers could say anything, the son, before before the son could reach the village, the father took the initiative and he conferred honour on the son. The best robe means what? Whose robe? The father's robe. The father gave him a robe and and you know how dignified you look in a robe, huh? for those of you who like, graduate from university and for the one time in your life you put on this robe. It's dignity. The Father confers honour. What is that ring that the Father gives him? That signet ring is used to seal contracts. I'm giving you back your family name so that you can sign contracts, so that you're worth something. And then shoes. Shoes also refer to honor. There is this, uh, should refers to respect, self-respect. There was this Rabbi Judah who wrote this. He says one should always sell even the beams of his house and buy shoes for his feet. Okay, a respectable person wears shoes, and you can even sell the beams of your house, but always wear shoes. So the father bestowed honor not humiliation. And then he asked for, bring the fatted calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead, is alive again, he was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Did some research, how many people can a fatted calf feed? 200 I was told, 200. So it's a big party, it's a big party, it's like wedding dinner with 20 tables okay 200 people and he wasn't just reconciling this son to his family he was reconciling it him to 200 people the whole village and it wasn't based on what the son had to do it was based on the father's stature and goodwill so the father gave the father gave freedom for the son to choose the father gave his bios gave his property gave his life the father gave his indigni- gave his dignity to be insulted when he went running The father gave his dignity when the son said go and die. The father gave his dignity in running to the son. The father gave his robe, his ring, his shoes. Gave, gave, gave and gave a banquet as well. And there's a very old hymn that sums this up very nicely. It says, God's love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. So that's the father, and that is the father heart of God. You are fallen, you are found, you are forgiven, you are favoured. There is an Act 4, right? This is not the end of the story. There's an Act 4 about the older brother, but that's for Pastor Chi Ming next week. And and his task will be way more interesting than mine. You know, at the men's weekend that we had recently, uh, the facilitator asked 11 men there, He said, how many of you identified with the younger brother and how many of you identified with the older brother? Can you guess the number? Three identified with the younger brother. So we sat three of us together uh, to discuss the thing and then the rest identified with the older brother. That's 27% and 73%. Um, You know, the story of this younger brother has been overtold. Uh, so boring, so predictable, right? Before I open my mouth, you know what the story is. That I think 73% of you who identify with the older brother, if you are anything like the man in the men's weekend, 73% of you are probably asleep now. Wake up! (laughs) Okay, 73% of you are are asleep. Uh, Because you know the story already. Um, So, but if you read the story carefully in Luke 15, it is this 73% who got whacked by Jesus in a very clever way. Whacked by Jesus. And so watch out next week. When Pastor Chiming comes here to talk about the older brother, you're going to get whacked if you're one of the 73%. But anyway, now are you ready for story number two? Okay. Story number two is very personal. I was personally involved and, and quite deeply involved in this story between the father and the son. The son couldn't quite hold down a job, ended up not working, and the father was so unhappy, scolded him, scolded him. And one day, the son lost his cool and threw a chair at the father, and so got chased out of the house, became homeless. When I heard that, I I got involved as a mediator, and I also got help from one of the the gentlemen in this church who could speak the dialect well, and I arranged for a reconciliation ceremony. And it is Cantonese. It's literal. You serve tea and you ask for forgiveness. Literally, I arranged for this ceremony and ask for forgiveness. Well, the results were not the best. Okay, the, the son had to leave home. The son had to leave home, but he's allowed to return home once a week. And father and son are not talking. That was the best that could happen under the circumstances. And the father tells me that whenever I see this son of mine who threw a chair against me, I feel needles in my heart. It pricks my heart. And I tell this story with great sadness, but also with great hope because both of them, father and son, are not yet Christians. And they have not yet received the grace of God like the younger son of Luke chapter 15. And I hope that one day, they will finally understand that all their pains and disappointments have been nailed to Jesus on the cross. And this needling, poking pain that the Father has in his heart will also be nailed through Jesus' hands, through Jesus' feet, onto the cross. And then, it will be washed away by the grace of God. Fallen, found, forgiven in this story number two a measure of it but not yet favor there is still no favor so story number three franklin graham is the son of billy graham we all know billy graham man of god famous evangelist faithful to god and franklin in his youth was wild was rebellious and he went roaring about town like hell's angels in his harley davidson dressed in leather, dusty bearded. One day, he rode his bike into his father's home, walked looking like that with bandana and beard and leather clothing, burst into his father's living room, and walked right into a meeting of Billy Graham's executive board, All this senior statesman Christian. And without hesitation, Billy Graham identified, Franklin, this is my son. And he proudly introduced Franklin with beard and leather jacket to every member of his executive board. And Billy Graham did not apologize for his son and did not show any shame or guilt. And later on, Franklin Graham wrote in his autobiography, you see it here, Rebel with a Cause, that the love and the respect that the father gave him that day never left him, even during his rebellious years. And he came back to God. Father and son here are believers, Christians. They have experienced the grace of God. So Franklin was fallen. He was found. He was forgiven and he's favored. That's story number three. Okay. Story number four. No sermon today. Okay. Remember, and this is the longest sermon uh, longest longest story. Okay. I want to tell this story, and I want you to enter this story at an emotional level. I hope you can. Reflect on it, and I hope it touches your heart. This is story number four. Once upon a time, there were five sons who lived on a mountain, beautiful castle with their father. And down by the valley of the hill, the mountain was a huge river, fast-flowing, dangerous. And the father warned the five sons again and again, do not go near the river it will sweep you away from home. Do not go near the river. But each day, not the eldest son, but the four youngest sons wanted to go and play in the river. One day they did. And one of the sons was say, hey, three of you, hold on to my hand, let me touch the water. As he did that, he got swept away by the flowing river. And not only that, he pulled the other three brothers along. So four sons four sons got washed away by the fast-flowing river. And several hours later, the river dumped them onto some ground, half drowned, in a strange land in a distant country. There were savage people living on that land. It was not safe like their home. Cold winds blew over the land. It was not warm like their home. Ugly thorn bushes sprouted around them It was not beautiful with flowers like in their home. And though they did not know where they were, they were sure of one thing they were not home. So they tried to walk upstream in the river, but the current was too strong. They wanted to walk along the river's edges, but the terrain was too steep. They considered climbing the mountain on the other side, but the peaks were too high. And in any case, they didn't know the direction, didn't know the way home through the mountain. Finally, they just built a fire and sat down. And they said, we shouldn't have disobeyed father. We are such a long way from home. Every night, they would just gather around the fire and think about home and talk about father, talk about older brother who was still with father. Then one night, one of the brothers did not come to the fire. And the other three went around searching for him. And they found him. They found him among the savages, And he was building a hut of mud and grass. And he said, you know, brothers, three of you, this land isn't so bad after all. I think I can build a great house and I can settle here. But it isn't home, the other three brothers cried. No, but if you don't think about it, this can be home. But what about father? Father, I can't see him anymore. I don't feel him here anymore. I've stopped thinking about father. And so the other three brothers left this building brother and walked away. They continued to meet around the fire and talking about home, talking about father, talking about older brother. Some days later, a second brother went missing. And when they found him, they found him staring at the hut that the other brother had built. And he said, how disgusting. Our brother is an utter failure. An insult to the family name. Can you imagine a more despicable deed, building a hut here and forgetting our father? And then one of the other brothers says, yes, 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 what he's doing is wrong, but what we did was wrong too. We disobeyed father, we touched the river, we got swept away, we ignored our father's warnings. Well, the second brother said, we might have made a mistake or two, but compared to this sleaze in the hut, we are saints. Come, come, come. Return to the fire with us, the other brothers called. He said, no, no, no. I think I have to keep an eye on our brother. Somebody needs to keep a record of his sins to show father. And so the other two returned, leaving one brother building his hut and a second brother judging. You know the story, right? Then another brother went missing. They went to search for him and they found him. They found him stacking rocks. Stacking rocks one on another. Said, what are you doing in this river and this third son says well father won't come to us i must go to him i offended him i insulted him i failed him there is only one option i will build a path all the way back to father and i will walk into his presence rock upon rock i will do that until i can build this pathway back to the castle when he sees how hard i have worked how diligent i have been he will have no choice but to open the door to me and let me into his house. (laughs) The last brother didn't know what to say. He returned to the fire and sat there all by himself. Three brothers, gone, One building a hut, one judging the builder, and the third one trying to stack stones up a fast-flowing river to go back to father. And as he was sitting by the fire, a voice came from behind. Hello, brother. Father has come, has sent me to bring you home. Turned around, met the older brother. You've come for us at last. And for a long time, the two of them embraced. And the older brother said, where are your other three brothers? He said, come, I'll show you. As he went to the first brother, the first brother says, go away, you stranger. Go away. You're not welcome here. He said, but I'm older brother. I've come to bring you home. You have not. You have come to thank my mansion. There is no mansion. It's a hut. It's a lousy hut. It's a mansion. It's the finest one here. I built it with my own hands. Go away, go away. You cannot have my mansion. Don't you remember the house of your father? I have no father. See, you were born in a castle in a faraway land where, where, where it, is, it is warm, where there are fruits plenty. You disobeyed. Father, remember, you ended up in this strange land. Now I have come to bring you home. Go away, you intruder. This is not your home. And the elder brother says, You're right. This is not your home. This hut is not your home. You have a better one. I built this one. This is my mansion go away. So the older brother then walked away disappointed, went to the next brother. He didn't have to walk very far because this brother was close by observing. Observing. And when he saw the older brother coming, hey, how good you are here to behold the sin of our brother. Are you aware that he's turned his back on father? Are you aware that he never even speaks about home nowadays? I have to keep a careful account of his deeds. Come, let me show you. Punish him. He deserves it. Deal with the sins of your brother. And the older brother says, we need to deal with your sins first. My sins? Yeah, you disobeyed, father. (sighs) My sins are nothing. There is the sinner. Look, there is the sinner. I can't go home with you yet. I have to record all my brother's sins in this big black book of sins that I have. So the older brother walked away disappointed. He walked to the river and there he found the third brother. Knee deep in water, stacking rocks. And say, hey, Father has sent me to bring you home. Brother looked up. I can't talk now. I'm working. Father knows you have fallen. I have found you. Father will forgive you. He may forgive, but I must do my part. I have to get back to the castle myself. I must build a pathway there. Then I will show him that I am worthy. Then I will ask for his mercy. He has already given you his mercy, said the older brother. I will carry you up the river. You will never be able to build a pathway back to the castle. The river is too long. The task is too great for your hands. Father sent me to carry you home. He will bestow his favor on you. And then this brother looked up again. How dare you speak with such irreverence? My father will not simply forgive like that. I have sinned. I have sinned greatly. He told us to avoid the river. We disobeyed. I am a great sinner. I need much work. No, my brother. You do not need much work. You need much grace. The distance between you and our Father's house is too great. You will not have enough strength to to carry the stones all the way up to the castle. That's why he sent me. That's why he wants me to carry you home. Are you saying that I can't do it? Are you saying that I'm not strong enough? Look at my work. Look at my rocks. Already I can walk five steps. And the older brother said, but you have five million to go. And so this brother looked at the older brother. I know who you are. I know you who you are. You are the voice of evil. Get thee behind me serpent, and took a rock and threw at the older brother. Go away, you hyper-grace preacher. Leave me alone. I will work hard. I will earn forgiveness. I will earn favour. Threw another rock and disappointed the older brother had to walk away. I'm coming to the end of this very long story because there's only one brother left, right? This brother followed the older brother home. That's all. The older brothers received the same invitation. Everyone had an opportunity to be led home by the older brother. The first said no. He chose a mud hut, a grass hut over the father's house. The second said no. He preferred to analyze, preferred to judge the mistakes of his brother than to admit his own. The third one says it is wiser to make a good impression than to do an honest confession. And the last one chose gratitude. Thank God, my elder brother came. So was that? Was that? What's the application? No application. Just appreciation, even as I hope you have placed yourself in this story. I want you to appreciate the meaning of prodigal. In the dictionary, prodigal means ext- extravagant, recklessly extravagant. Prodigal means having spent everything. It refers to God. Of course, it refers to the prodigal younger son that we are quite familiar with, but it refers to God. God gave recklessly, not knowing if this son will come back because this son has the choice, the freedom of choice. This, this son in Luke 15 and these four sons in this other story, they have the choice. And God gave extravagantly. God forgave recklessly. The son might have come back, earned a little bit of money and go off wandering again. And God forgave recklessly. God spent everything on his sons. He gave his honour, he gave his dignity, he gave his robe, his rings, his shoes. God gave his son recklessly, extravagantly, unsparingly on the cross. God ran an extravagant enterprise, a reckless enterprise, and God ran it very well. I want to share this uh, song with you. title is called When God Ran. Let's pray together. I pray you will feel the the love of God. You know it. You know it in your head. You've read Luke 15 many, many times. But I pray that as God made us body, soul, and spirit, you will feel him in your spirit. God loves you God's love for you is recklessly extravagant God gave us the freedom to choose we can choose to be building we can choose to be judging we can choose to stack rocks or we can choose to return I think there is an aspect of each one of the four brothers in, in us let's turn back to the God who loves us no matter if we are judging or stacking or building but God loves you there are aspects of the younger brother of Luke 15 in us there are aspects of the older brother of Luke 15 in us There is a Pharisee heart in each one of us. There is also a sinner, a tax collector heart in each one of us. And as we surrender to the Father, He runs to us, we run to Him. We are reconciled with God, Heavenly, loving Father. So I just want to pray for all of us that this morning we will receive the love of god afresh in our hearts no matter the journey that we have been we can start afresh with god he offers his forgiveness he runs to us Father, I want to thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, gave his life for us, ran to us. And I pray, Lord, that as a body of believers meeting here, that we will appreciate afresh this love of God, this grace of God, this God who spent everything, who gave the life, of His Son for us. And And for every sin that we confess before you, Lord, you washed it away. And I pray, God, that each one of us will leave this hall with a, a spring in our steps to know that we have touched the love of God, that God loves us, God cares for us, God gave and gave and gave for us. That our hearts will be so touched by the love of God that we can practice this love and this grace ourselves. That when we forgive, it is not a measure of forgiveness. We will forgive and we will love as recklessly, extravagantly as God did for us. And when we spend, we will spend everything as God did for us. And so I pray that each one of us here will be set free, set free to love, nothing that holds us back, unforgiveness, the inability to love, inability to, un- to, to forgive, husband and wife, father and son, relatives, friends that we who are beneficiaries of an extravagant love can give extravagant love. So God, I thank you. Thank you that you ran to us, that you love us. So may we go in the love and the grace of God.
1: We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.